So uh, if you have not been with us or if you have a short memory, we've been looking at the uh, little book of 1 John, and, and uh, it deals with having an authentic relationship with Jesus, a genuine relationship with Jesus, uh, being real while we're pursuing God. And, it, you know, it, I realize that it's not always easy to do that. I think there are times when we feel pressured to behave a certain way or put on some sort of pretense, feel like you kind of have to, have to look a certain way, act a certain way, say certain things, or you're not really in relationship with God. People might think, well, there's something wrong with you, but nothing could be further than the truth than that. The best way, the very best way we can come to God is honestly and humbly. I think the best person you can be before him is, is who you are. And uh, that's something that John's communicating to us in this book. We, we have a little saying uh, in the vineyard. It's been around since the earliest days of the vineyard. We say, come as you are. I was talking last night uh, at Project Timothy, which is a wonderful training program for young leaders in the church. And I had about 25 uh, young vineyard leaders. We talked about vineyard DNA and, and what are sort of the things that make the vineyard the vineyard. And one of them is this, come as you are. And the early days uh, of our movement back in the 70s, you know, it was nobody went to church looking like you guys. But it was common to wear, uh, you know, a suit and tie for men and your Sunday best for ladies. And so Vineyard kind of broke the mold and said, no, come as you are. So there, there was sort of this thing that you don't have to be dressed up to be part of us. But really that phrase, that little statement is is communicating something much, much deeper than that. It really has less to do with what you look like on the outside than it does who you are on the inside. And it was an invitation to come as you are. Look, you, you know, I don't know how many times I've had people say to me, well, I, I'll, I would love to go to church, but my life is just such a mess. I kind of have to get it all together. I have to get things in order and straighten some stuff up first. And I would say, no, no, it's exactly the opposite of that. The chances of you doing that on your own are, are probably pretty slim. Why don't you come and allow the Spirit of God to begin to change your life and, and, and help you with some of that? Come as you are. Come and be welcome and be accepted. And that's so valuable for who we are as a people here, to be able to come to the Lord in whatever place we're in today. In this, uh, this letter... First John, John has been talking about that, about being genuine and authentic with Christ. And he's saying there are some things in our lives that we want to work on to do that. And, and to be honest, he's been a, a pretty direct uh, in his approach. And he, he's been talking about our sin. He's been talking about uh, ordering our relationships. He's been talking about being obedient. And, he, and he's been very direct, and he's, he's not pulling any punches. And at times it almost feels like, man... He's, he's being a little, a little tough on us. But at the same time as he's being tough on us, he's also been very tender and very fatherly, very pastoral, you might say. He's referred to his audience repeatedly as brothers and sisters, as dear children, and then at different times as dear friends. And we'll see that phrase today. And it's I, I wanted to point out that the NIV, I, I, I teach from the NIV, I read the NIV, that's sort of my default translation, but every once in a while there's 
something that I don't think is as as good as it could be. And this is one of those places, that word that we see in the NIV as dear friends, in other translations it says beloved. I like that a little better. But the truth is even that where we don't have a word in English that translates really adequately the sentiment that's being expressed there. The word in Greek is agapetos, and it literally means this. It means divinely loved one. If I were going to say that word to you in English, I would say that I love you with the love that Jesus loves you with. Beloved, Jesus loves you, and because I'm in him and you're in him, I love you the same way that he loves you. You're divinely loved by God, and you're loved by the community of Christ that surrounds you. And that's the heart that John has for his people. John is being stern with his audience because he cares very, very deeply about them. He wants nothing but the best for them. And he realizes that the best is a good relationship with Jesus. The best thing he can offer, the best thing that they can have, the best, you know, live your best life now. The best life you can have right now is life in Christ. And that's where uh, we kind of pick up today. This next section of the letter takes a little bit of a turn. And John has been giving us, if you remember, some sort of proofs, some tests, if you will, some ways to identify where am I at? How is my relationship with God? Um, And I think John realizes here, I don't know, I'm trying to read between the lines and sort of put myself in his position. And I think maybe he realizes that That could be a burden on people. It could be a little bit of a weight on some of us. You might find that overwhelming, and you might think, you know, gosh, I'm just not there, you know. I I, I don't have it all together. I I certainly don't have my relationships all together. I'm not even sure I'm all together in my beliefs sometimes. I, I question things. And so with that in mind, John also wants us to be able to rest in him. Resting in him doesn't necessarily mean we let go of that pursuit of God. We continue to press in for more of him, but we can simultaneously, as we press in, we can also rest in the confidence that he's with us in the process. And so our title today is Rest in His Presence. You can't see it very good. I wish you could. It's a picture of Portland. And I chose that picture because it's interesting. If you Google God's presence or peace, God's peace, rest in him. And you Google images, every single image is of the beach. And I, I, you, you would get the idea, you got to be at the beach to find God. There, he isn't, he's nowhere else. He's only at the beach, which I like the beach. And I do think that there is a way, you know, when you're out sometimes in, in nature and you're, you're in an open space to really hear God and feel God. But I, I want to say God's presence and resting his presence isn't confined to that. that we can find him, we can rest in him anywhere. And I think that's uh, what I want to try to convey through this text today is that God's presence and our ability to rest in him is not bound by geography or anything else. It really is uh, a, a benefit of his kingdom and being in his kingdom. And we know his kingdom is where we are. And when we're in the presence of God, we rest in the presence of God. That can happen any place we are. So let's pray. We'll get into today's text, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Father, thanks so much for your word and for this letter from John and the opportunity we have to learn and grow in you and, and to learn from him. And to this morning, I, I just pray that your spirit would penetrate our hearts in such a way that we might be able to rest in you. 
And that some of us, Lord God, who maybe have had a difficult time resting, could rest in you. We're going to pray later, but I, I, I have this sense there's some of us who have uh, struggled possibly recently with insomnia, not, not being able to sleep. And I even want to pray now that as, as we look into your word, that that would begin to dissipate and that the rest of God would enter into our lives. So I think there's others who maybe have been uh, overwhelmed with anxiety. We just want to ask the peace of God to rest upon that. There is a, uh, a healing presence and there's a relief from those things in the presence of God that really can't be found anywhere else. And so, Lord, would you cause that rest to come to us today? Amen. First John chapter 3, verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. That first little uh, intro line there, this is how we know that we belong to the truth, is a reference back. He's been talking about obedience to Christ and loving one another. And he basically says, when we do that, that's, that's the proof. That's how we know that we're in the, tr- we're in the truth, is that we're, we walk in the truth. It's not just a belief in our heart. We actually live it out. We live it out, and that's, that's, that's how we know. But then he says, there's another benefit. There's something more than just knowing we're in the truth. We set our hearts at rest in his presence. So isn't that just a beautiful little phrase? I don't know. I was sharing this morning. I, I don't know how many times I've read this book in my life, and I don't know that I ever really noticed that before. But this week, for some reason, it just stood out to me. We set our hearts at rest in his presence. Look, when our, when our lives are right with God, these things that John's been talking about, it, it's not like you know, going to school where you get an A plus. You, you did all the right things, so you get an A, or you get a gold star on your chart, or you get an attaboy if you're a, on a soccer team or whatever. What you receive from that, from being obedient, from following God, is your heart will rest in his presence. You know, I, I just, I am overwhelmed myself at times with the anxiety-ridden world that we live in. I quite honestly don't know how anybody can uh, be awake and not have some level of anxiety. I mean, every day, every single day. You you know, you, you go on Facebook and who knows, somebody steals your identity and the next thing you know, your bank account's drained and some guy's buying cars in your name, you know. You, you drive around and road rage and somebody's throwing things at you. You know what I mean? There's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. There's corruption, you know, in the government. And you don't know. It's just, it's overwhelming to watch the news or even just, like I said, just drive around, just be awake. You know, you got, there's some wackadoodle with his hand on the nuclear launch thing like it's the easy button at Staples. I mean, that's reality. We, 
how do we not be anxious in the middle of that? Just living life creates anxiety. And that's the big stuff. That doesn't deal with our own lives and our own health and our own finances and our own families and all the other stuff that goes with that. But in the midst of all that, we can set our hearts at rest in the presence of God. Did you know, here's the thing. This is what John's saying. I want us to get this. That in obedience, when we walk with Christ, we find a place of rest. We will quote Scripture sometimes, and we'll, we talk about worship. We love worship in the vineyard, and we say that um, God inhabits the praise of His people. And when we worship Him, His presence is with us, and that's true. And we quote another Scripture, and we say that when two or three are gathered in His name, there He is with us, and that God's presence is with us when we come together in Christ. And when we meet like this, that the presence of God is with us, and that's equally true. But you know what else is true? That when we walk our lives out in obedience to Him, when we follow His commands, when we learn to love one another, that that invokes the very presence of God, and He begins to walk with us, and we can find Him in places we wouldn't find Him otherwise just by being obedient. That's pretty good stuff. There's a flip side to that, though. Our hearts can condemn us. Uh, Condemnation is bad, right? We know that. Condemnation is bad. Remember this from when we had our spiritual gifts series. We talked about the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation and conviction are similar in the sense that they both are an identifier for us that maybe things aren't quite right. I need to work on this or that in my life. But here's the difference. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction into our life, you say, I need to work on this or that in my life. I really want to change that. I want to to improve this area of my life. I want to draw near to God for that. And it's a healthy and a positive thing that inspires us to move forward with him. But when it's condemnation, and that's not from the Spirit of God, that's from another source altogether. It makes you feel worthless, and you find yourself saying, I'm just no good. I'm a terrible person. I'll never be what God wants me to be. And when when you feel like that, and, and when you have those sorts of thoughts, that's not God, that's condemnation. Self-condemnation is just a curse that we live under. You know, I'm going to be honest. Most of us are much harder on ourselves than we are on everybody else. I would ask you this question. Do Do you use the same standard of evaluation on yourself as you do on other people? We are, we are, we will, most of us are fairly gracious. And we'll cut other people slack. Somebody, you know... They're going through a problem. They're going through a difficult time. We say, well, God's with them. We'll pray. We're going to help them through that. But when it's our own, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a horrible person. In him, there is no condemnation. When we're in Christ, we won't feel that. Paul tells us that in Romans. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. When we're in his presence, that self-condemnation will dissipate. It'll leave in our lives. We have... Two assurances of that. I I love John here. He tells us, we know that that's true because one, he's greater than our heart. So when when our own heart condemns us, we have to believe that God's greater than that. And two, he knows everything. Isn't that good? He knows everything. God's smarter than you are. 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God we receive from him anything we ask. Because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. Dear friends, beloved, divinely loved of God, know this, that when our hearts are right before him, we rest in his presence and we can ask anything we want. The picture I always get is that beautiful picture, Luke 15, when the prodigal son comes home. Dad puts the robe on his back and the ring on his finger. He kills the fatted calf. He throws a party. Everything in the house is his. Everything in the house is his. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I I love that Rembrandt has a painting of that. It's beautiful. Father's putting his arms around the son. He's got this robe over his shoulders, and it's just you see this big old meaty hand on his back, and you just go, man, there's just a love and a sense of acceptance and welcome there. And that's what John is saying when we are... In the presence of God, it's all ours. We can ask whatever we want. God says, that's my heart's desire is to give that to you. Everything is his. Our, our hearts, here, so here's the, here's the progression of thought. There's benefit and value in being obedient to God because when we're obedient to God, our hearts will find rest in his presence. When our hearts are at rest in his presence, that opens up channels of communication between us and God. The communication lines are clear, and we can go before him with whatever, and God wants to bless us and honor us with that, and then we find uh, the blessing of God, and he'll grant us those things that we want. So, so there, that's, that's the progression of thought, and, and there's, there's this tremendous blessing that begins with us being obedient. But here, here I, I, I do want to mention this. Uh, and if you guys want to come back up now and get ready, we're going to close in just a minute. Um, notice, though, that the blessing of God here does not include salvation or forgiveness or acceptance. Those things are free gifts of God that precipitate the whole process. So right relationship with God, the blessing that we have is greater than that. It's other than that, but it, it's not, you know, forgiveness and acceptance. God's already accepted you where you are today. He's accepted us for who we are from the very beginning. I I love that song we sang this morning. I can't remember the exact words, but when I was still somewhere, your love was reaching out to me or something. That's why I'm not a worship leader. He closes with a little reminder of where he started. He says, this is his command. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and love one another. Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. That's what God's asked us to do, and the rest of this will come out of that. The one who keeps his commands lives in him and him in them, and this is how we know that. I love that last little phrase, too. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The spirit's in our lives. When we forget who we are, the spirit of God will remind us. And I just felt today as though um, he wanted to remind us who we are.